Coming up on this edition of Cougar Insider Podcast, we're going to break down the Zach Wilson era as it began against the University of Hawaii. 49 points. What did that mean? Let's put it in perspective. We'll also be talking about Tanner Magnum. How has he handled this? And we'll break down some recruiting and some basketball. That and much more on this edition of Cougar Insider Podcast. Welcome to the Cougar Insider Podcast. I'm Dick Harmon, columnist for the Deseret News, along with beat writers Jeff Call and Brandon Gurney. We're coming to you from Thanksgiving Point, and we're talking BYU sports. Gentlemen, we had an interesting uh, game, this Hawaii game, BYU game, the Zach Wilson thing. Um, has this turned around BYU's program, or at least given it a spark or jump? started it in some way, because at least I think from talking to fans, it's a completely different feeling than they've had the last couple of weeks. Jeff Call, is this going to be a turning point for this team? Well, I think that still remains to be seen, but it's a good sign, a good way to start out for uh, Zach Wilson to, in his first start, the youngest quarterback ever to start at BYU, to play the way he did, and after two straight losses, lopsided losses, the way they played against Washington and Utah State, they needed something like this. And to win convincingly and to show real, uh, ability to score points, which we haven't seen out of BYU in quite a while. Jeff, we got to look back to UMass. What was it two or three years ago when they scored this many points? Yeah. They, they simply have not scored that many points against teams that they really should. You go back to Portland State, you go back to McNeese State, they can't do it. Yeah. And so that's, that's why I say, I think, uh, to see them scoring like they did and they scored in a lot of different ways. We saw a lot of different guys. Uh, get in the end zone. We saw a quarterback draw from Zach Wilson on the touchdown. We saw a beautiful uh, pass he made to uh, uh, Gunnar Romney there at the end. I mean, and the Dallin Holker one was a, kind of a broken play that he started to go forward and he saw him open and threw a dart to him. Yeah, and then and then the other thing too to be able to run the ball the way they were able to. And of course, this all you know you have to understand that this Hawaii defense is not very good. But moving forward, this is a good sign for BYU to get some confidence back because. You think back to that Utah State game, and they they were just they were lifeless, and they just didn't seem to have an identity. And now they're starting to turn that way. And uh, with the bye week coming up, it's probably good to for them to uh, you know really get uh, focused in for this last five games of the regular season. You know, you look at the film, Brandon Gurney, and Hawaii's uh, lines were really struggling. They were getting blown off the line. They were getting manhandled by BYU's offensive linemen. But but then on the other hand, BYU's offensive line and defensive line looked like they were more energized and engaged and had more passion, more energy, more fight in them, and wanted to take it to them. A spark? Yeah, there was a spark out there we haven't seen in this team for a while. Yeah, to me, and we talked about this, the most disappointing thing about Utah State was the line play. I mean, you can point to a lot of factors, but the line play was the one thing that really surprised me. And the one thing, people like to say, oh, it's Hawaii, you're supposed to do that. Well, they scored 49 points. They did exactly what they were supposed to do against a team like Hawaii. When has that happened before? It It hasn't happened for a long time. It doesn't happen. And and when you look at Kalani's team, consistency is the thing that just doesn't happen. That's the biggest difference between the Bronco Mendenhall years and the Kalani years is you largely knew what you were going to get from Bronco. You knew what type of effort, how the game was going to play out. You, you just don't know that with Kalani. And I believe that Hawaii game was kind of they, – they did what 
they probably should have done. And how many times can you say that with a BYU football game over the last three years? And I, and I think maybe it was significant. Everyone's talking about Zach Wilson. Yeah, he was good, but I think the defensive performance was really, really solid. I think that's where they made the biggest turnaround. You saw a lot of pretty significant changes with the alignment who was playing, and, and I think it paid dividends. And I, I think for the defense – that's going to be a very positive step forward, uh, more so than the offense. You know, I, I credit E. Tuiaki, but I, there's a hidden ghost behind this thing that I think you got to give credit to, and that's Ed Lamb. Ed Lamb had his fingerprints all over this in a lot of different ways, from personnel changes to the blitzes that were created to the deployment of a lot of different personnel. We saw some freshmen, D'Angelo Manuel and, and some others that came in, and they played pretty darn good against some very, very good receivers. In fact, uh, you know, the way that they deployed that three-man rush and then dropped eight and then covered the lanes. It was brilliant. Yeah, it, it was very creative. What they were doing with Corbin Confuse, he was an absolute playmaker. And, and they also shifted the safeties a lot. Um, you saw three cornerbacks start out with Michael Shelton, Wilcox, who I think has been kind of an underrated story. I think Wilcox has made really good gains. You saw him defend a pass in the end zone. Just defending a pass is something you never saw from Chris Wilcox. He's doing a really good job. They didn't play Troy Warner as much. I don't know if Troy's still struggling coming back from surgery, coupled with learning a new position, but he didn't play a lot. They largely stuck with Lee, uh, Austin Lee, and then Diane Gonwaluku, I believe, is a real difference maker for this defense. And I think just... With that, and I think Isaiah Kafusi was, he had a really big debut starting at outside backers. So you're seeing some changes on defense, and they certainly paid off for one game. You remember the spring practice a couple of years ago? We saw Kafusi, Isaiah, we're talking about, fresh off a of mission. I think he had two interceptions in that scrimmage. So he's got the talent. He, he knows what he can do, and he's got the bloodlines. Jeff Call, I've always maintained, and you've heard me say this many times before, in watching BYU football for the last four decades, BYU is its best when it has a passer that can do a finesse game on opponents. They're, BYU's not always going to match up with other teams. They're not going to have the speed. They're not going to have some of the athleticism that you see. But the one difference that has made a difference since the days of Gifford Nielsen, Jim McMahon, Steve Young, Ty Detmer, Robbie Bosco, you go back to Virgil Carter, is that they have a quarterback that takes charge, that makes plays, that is a great equalizer, that puts them in a position to challenge more talented teams. Are we on the verge of seeing that now with, with Zach Wilson? Well, after his performance last Saturday, I would say it looks like it's trending in that direction. I mean, he looked like a BYU quarterback the way he was, you know, not just the plays that he made, but the way that he seemed to command the huddle and take control. I mean, I don't think you would have guessed that he was only 19 years old and it was his first start. I mean, if you were, if you didn't know the background and saw him playing, you would never guess that, I don't think. So it's, uh, you know, that's a great development for BYU moving forward. I think, uh, it'll be interesting. This coming game with Northern Illinois after the bye week, because Northern Illinois is a very good defensive team. Um, it's going to be a stiffer test for BYU. And the other thing, now Northern Illinois has some game film. They they know who this guy is, and they can game plan for him. I mean, I go back to last year. I know the circumstances are very, very different, but last year you saw Joe Critchlow get his first start late in the season at UNLV, and they never seen Joe Critchlow, and he came out and with uh, – Squally Canada running for over 200 yards and what Joe Critchell's able to do. BYU got that win. And then what happened the next week? They come home and they play a UMass team that's not very good, but they, they game plan for Joe Critchlow and his weaknesses and, and they lost that game. So, and I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I'm, what I am saying is it's a different 
this is a different challenge coming up this week. It'll be interesting to see how BYU responds to this. Before we leave uh, the Zach Wilson uh, saga, we got we got to talk about this a little bit because Zach Wilson is going to be much much better if they get Squally Canada healthy, if they continue to run uh, Hadley the way that they did, and uh, uh, Lopina Katoa is really doing well. But the offensive line, the response to that, the feeling that they can get things done, um, and Brandon Gurney, these running backs that are going to run hard and catch passes out of the backfield and stretch defenses with the run is going to be huge for Zach Wilson down the line. Absolutely, and, and and he's going to need to continue to adjust because you saw Zach Wilson, who wasn't as effective in the second half as much as he was the first half. And I think defenses are going to s- start to settle in, understand his tendencies, and that you, you saw him not recognizing uh, uh, cover two two times in a row first one you're going to see that from the freshman and 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 all that said and everyone's just celebrating and all that he didn't even pass for 200 yards um but but he was efficient but but he was efficient and i think the energy and i think it was absolutely the right decision to put him in and i think probably the biggest indictment against tanner mingham i don't know if we're going to talk about slater or i can talk about this now but everyone points to the utah state and washington i think the bigger indictment was mcneese state because I, I think they had a plan going into the season, the progression of the offense. They were going to keep it vanilla. Then, oh, okay, we're going to open it up because teams are going to adjust to us. we got to show we can pass. They couldn't pass against McNeese State. They, they weren't able to do it. You, you just saw Grimes just, oh, we can't do it. Let's just, let's just run on these guys, let's right? Go back, go back and, to Jet Sweet. And I think that was just a moment in the offense where it wasn't able to take the progression that they thought. And, and what you had resulting from that, among many other factors, were totally getting railroaded by Washington and and – Utah State, just because you weren't able to take that next step offensively. I I don't want to put it all on Tanner Mangum, but they just weren't able to do it. And you think maybe they made some strides against Hawaii, opening things up. So so I think that was largely kind of the, the big reason why Tanner lost his job. You make some good points there. Tanner Magnum, here's a young man that we've all visited with, we've all interviewed, we've spent time with him, we've seen him be gracious and take the time to talk to us and give us meaningful quotes about what's going on, explaining things in his life, share his personal uh, you know, uh, demons that he's had with uh, mental health issues. We've seen him come back from injuries time and time again. We've been there when he threw the uh, Hail Mary, uh, Hail, Hail Mary um, in the game against Nebraska, and then he did it against Boise State. He's had good moments, but Jeff Call, how has he handled this? Well, I think, uh, you know, we haven't talked to him since the demotion, obviously, but, um, from all indications, I mean, if you looked at him on the sideline, I mean, he was doing all the right things. And I, I think he was sincere. I mean, I think he really is a team guy. I think he really wants BYU to succeed and however that may be. And, uh, after the game, Zach Wilson, uh, talked about how supportive, uh, Tanner has been to him and those two are roommates and they spent a lot of time together these last several months. And uh, it's got to be hard for Tanner, though, obviously. And and Kalani Sataki acknowledged that uh, after the game that he took the news hard, and he expected him to. You know, he's not going to be happy with it. Who wants to be demoted in your senior year? But uh, you know, all things considered, I think Tanner is going to be a great help to Zach moving forward, and and uh, try to help him help this team win as many games as they can. BYU does not play this week. They've got a week off. Uh, they're preparing now for Northern Illinois. Uh, a long-needed rest uh, and respite from, from workouts and 
uh, get some guys healed and stuff like that. While we're not covering so much everything daily, there is an opportunity to go ahead and guess some games. The Grid Picks, there's a great chance for you to win prizes by posting your college football predictions online. It's called Grid Picks, and you can sign up at thedesertnews.com. I personally pick the 14 games each week, and there are gift cards to be won. Test your knowledge and luck at deseretnews.com. Look for Grid Picks. The untold story, Jeff Call. what do you got for us? Well, I just think that uh, if you look at the season in totality, and obviously this this program needs to get back to a bowl game. That's something that's a benchmark that BYU needs to hit. And going into the season, it looked like he was kind of you know in limbo whether they would reach that six win plateau and surprise everybody by winning three games in September. Now they're going to the uh, Hawaii game three and three, coming off two bad losses. If you look at the rest of the season, and you've got Boise State and Utah on the schedule. BYU's never won at Boise State, and we all know how long it's been since BYU's even beat Utah anywhere, let alone up at Rice-Eccles. You kind of saw a small window for BYU to get those three wins, and uh, they've got one now, and then they've got uh, basically Northern Illinois, uh, New Mexico State, and UMass to get, you know, they need two to get those wins. So it's looking a lot better now, and uh, interestingly, uh, Brett McMurphy who, of course, is a great college football uh, writer, he, I saw that he predicted BYU and Virginia in the Independence Bowl. That would be interesting. What, what, what a great matchup that could be <laughs> oh. if it, if it play, plays out that way. I mean, how many storylines and how many – I, I mean, it would be incredible. It would be incredible. I don't know that Bronco Mendenhall would want that. No, and he I don't wouldn't. think that Kalani <laughs> no, Sataki would want that. And I think that they'll probably let that be known to ESPN, whoever owns that bowl. So you know, yeah, yeah, that's, that'll be interesting. I think I think Bronco, if I remember right, uh, he he said that you know BYU was supposed to play Virginia, I think next year. I can't remember if it was in Charlottesville or Provo, mm-hmm. but he moved that back a couple of years because he just didn't. He doesn't want that matchup. No, but the I mean, do you think ESPN would want that matchup? I think they would. Now, what about the Las Vegas Bowl with Utah and uh, and Utah State? Wouldn't that be a matchup? Maybe yeah, heaven. that would be interesting. But, you know, social media kind of went a little bit crazy this last weekend uh, when, when Kalani Sataki, after the game, several times mentioned about the interception that Zach Wilson threw. He kind of mentioned, you know, you know, his ego kind of got to him. He, he shouldn't have thrown that ball. He needs to learn and stuff like that. A lot of people said, hey, what are you doing? You know, the guy had a great game. What are you criticizing? <laughs> what are you doing that for? We can't stand that. You can't do that. You can't do that. But Brandon Gertie, you and I both know uh, uh, Coach uh, Sataki, and there's no one that is more caring and loving about his players than he is. We've seen it over and over again. You've seen it at the recruiting trail when you've gone to the poly camp. He's a unique person. I don't think he meant it the way that people took it. No, and and I think what happens with a lot of fans is they champion their second-string quarterback, which happens a lot. And when he actually plays, uh, they're willing to give him every benefit of the doubt, and and largely uh, justifiably so. He he was he was really good. Wilson did a, did a really good job. I won't say a great job, but. But but yeah, Kalani just wants the guy to stay grounded. I I mean that was a bad read, and, and but but what was bad about it is he made essentially the same bad read two plays in a row. But uh, we're nitpicking here because because he he was largely fantastic, and Kalani probably is a bit too. But that's part of being a coach. 
You got to keep the guys grounded. You got to think, son. You you, you got to make that progression. If this is Hawaii. You can't do this against Northern Illinois. They'll jump all over you. So. Well, there's also the thing. You know, the worst thing you can do is praise a lot of people in a win. A lot of coaches believe you can't do that. You've got to keep the edge going, Jeff Collin. You've got to put them on notice. You can't go around and doing fluff and you know blowing air up their skirts and patting them on the back and, oh, yeah, we're great. And You've got to keep the edge going because if you don't, and this team has shown that it does not handle success well and it doesn't win well at home. Yeah, and I don't think we know, you know, maybe some of the behind-the-scenes things. Maybe this was something that was stressed to Zach and uh, it was really emphasized and he ended up doing it and he did it in back-to-back plays, like we said. I mean, yeah, I, I just think that this team needs, like you said, needs to have an edge to it. There's some uh, some big games left on the schedule. I mean, there's some games that, uh, especially Boise State and Utah, they're really big games that BYU uh, has a chance to win. I think uh, you look at Boise State and they've... They're vulnerable. They are. And I don't think we thought that at the start of the year, but now it looks like this is a game BYU can compete in, maybe win. And then Utah, who you never know with that game. I mean... It's just a toss-up. You never know. You go to the end of the season. You see how well, it goes. Kind of well, I would, I would, pick, you, I would pick, pick Utah. They're, they're playing really well right now. <laughs> I but, know what you're saying. Though. But, but, I mean, you look at the – I mean, over, overall, yeah, the games are close, and it's there to win if you make the play. Well, here's and the other so, thing, though. The Utah has not played well in November. They've done that season in and season out and failing to win the South in the Pac-12. This is an unusual situation not to play Utah at the beginning of the year, but get back to a traditional time and maybe a time that Utah might be, you know, a little bit preoccupied with that Southern Division. And they just don't play well in November. They haven't done that, Brandon Gurney. Oh, they're going to get out for BYU, though. I mean, come on. It's it's still there. Everyone wants to think, oh, they moved on to bigger things. No, I don't believe that for a second. And I absolutely love that it's the final game of the year. I've said this throughout the year. It's such a carrot at the end of a long season. And I've always spoken out about the narrative of BYU season, how it's largely awful in independence. It just is. I mean, let's just say what it is. I mean, oh, yay, New Mexico State, UMass. Oh, we got Utah? Wow, yes. Yeah, let's build up to that game. It's fantastic. And it's really a shame that it's not happening every year, but at least we get it this year. One thing that's happening in bye week is there'll be a lot of recruiting being done. And Brandon Gurney, why don't you give us an update on recruiting, kind of what's been happening, some of the athletes, some of the games, some of the things you've seen and heard about around the recruiting uh, circuit. Well, you're going to start to see a lot of commits coming in, and you're seeing a lot of uh, uh, wide receivers offered, which is a really good thing because if you look at the program right now, what position needs needs a, an influx of talent? I, I'd say it's probably the receiver position, position, maybe more so than any other. And they got a commitment. They got a kid named Keanu Hill from Ulysses Trinity, a school that does not pass the football. You want to think about Ulysses Trinity? Think about Bingham football. That's probably very, very comparable. Um, not a big recruit, two stars offered by Wyoming, but he did have other offers, which I think is kind of notable. But he has the intangibles. Yeah. Well, you hope. <laughs> you hope. That, that you, seems to what they're doing. You never really they're, know. Uh, they're having the measurables. They're getting the measurables. Yes, he, he definitely has the measurables. There's no question about that. He's 6'3", 190 pounds. And I think with this new uh, offense that Grimes is doing, you're going to look for those big type of receivers, those guys that can really block and, and possession type guys. And I think this guy might – Feel the bill. So, so yeah, I, I'm all for an influx of talent at the wide receiver position. We'll see if this kid can do it. Chase Roberts, how's he been doing? I saw him play live. He has a hurt arm, so it's not really fair to judge what he's doing right now because he probably shouldn't be playing. Maybe I shouldn't have let that out, but he is. Um, he had two fantastic 
touchdowns. One went for a touchdown. The other was called back for some phantom pass interference that everyone thought was a bad call. But you could see the injury really affect him for the rest of the game. He wasn't able to haul in passes and be the effective receiver that he is. But, man, when he is performing well, he is fantastic. He is worth every bit of hype. And BYU will be lucky to hang on to that kid. They really will. And I think he's going to stick with BYU because he came out off the field after he dropped a pass took off his helmet and said, shoot! <laughs> and I thought, yeah, yeah, that kid might stick. He, he, might, he might be stick. the other guy. Yeah, so, anyway. Jeff Call talking of shoot, BYU basketball is going to unveil itself this Friday. Dave Rose has got a good assembly of talent. This is an opportunity for him. Maybe St. Mary's is down a little bit. This BYU team's got to step up and do something. Yeah, I agree. And I think this, this team is different from ones we've seen in the past in the fact that they've got more experience. Um, a lot of upperclassmen. I think they have eight upperclassmen this year, which has been unusual. We've seen so many years BYU's dominated by freshmen and sophomores in there, and they tend to make mistakes and with the lack of the experience and things like that. And the other interesting thing about this team is now that he Schroyer has moved on, um, we're going to see BYU go back to more of an up-tempo style. And it's going to be interesting because this is a style that I think suits a lot of guys – in this program, they were recruited for this style, namely T.J. Haas. I know I talked to him the other day, and he's very excited about being able to, to push the ball a little bit more, more freewheeling and things like that. T.J. last year kind of looked like he was very uncomfortable all year with with uh, what was going on. So um, those those two things are very bright spots for BYU: the experience and then this, going back to that style of play. And then again, it's going to go come down to another year where can they compete with. Gonzaga, can they take over St. Mary's and maybe that second spot and maybe compete with Gonzaga for that top spot? Final word, gentlemen, either basketball or football or whatever feelings you have about anything. Uh, Brandon Gurney, let's start off with you. What's the final word you have for this podcast today? I, I think the Northern Illinois game is going to be very enlightening as far as what this team is, and I think we say that a lot. But I think coming off a of bye with the new structures in place, you parlay it against Northern Illinois. People think Northern Illinois, oh, they're, they're a good team. That is a solid a football team. team. They will test BYU. I, I, I think it's maybe even a 50-50 game. I think Northern Illinois is that good. And, and I'm, I'm really anxious to see how BYU matches up. Can they keep this rolling? Are they going to divert back? Consistency, consistency. Can that consistency be there? Can the offensive line dominate again? Uh, we'll see. I'm very interested in. Jeff Call. Yeah. Well, along those lines, I think that, uh, you know, the one thing that Kalani talked about after the game was he wanted to have, he wants this program to have a physical identity. And I feel like in the, especially the Washington, Utah State games, we didn't see that. And I think when they're physical and they want to impose their will and they've got confidence and they've got, uh, you know they're playing with excitement, enthusiasm. I think that all kind of feeds off each other, and that's going to be the key, I think, for the this final stretch of the year. If they can they can do that and put things together. And again, they've got some some big games coming up, and this is their chance to kind of put all the nightmare of last year behind them and, and move forward. And I think you can point to a lot of bright spots in this program with all the young players. I mean, you look at it and think there there might be some good times ahead, but this this final stretch of the season will be key. To, to not only finish this outright, but for the future. My final word um, is about a gentleman we both know, um, you, you and I, Jeff, and not so much you, uh, Brandon, but uh, uh, Paul James, a uh, Hall of Fame broadcaster, was laid to rest uh, today. Um, 
as we speak. This funeral is going on. I'm missing that, and I feel bad about that, but I do want to pay tribute to him. What a great talent he was. What a meaningful person he was to a lot of BYU fans over decades. Uh, he was a unique personality. I wrote a column about him today, trying to give a salute and a little bit of an honor to him. I honor him this day by saying, live well, beyond this veil. We'll see you again, my good brother. Thanks for joining us on the this episode of the Cougar Insider Podcast. We'd love to hear from you through email at cougarinsiders uh, at deseretnews.com. And please subscribe or download our podcast wherever you find it. We're working to deliver you the most up-to-date information on BYU Sports. I'd love to have you join us. We're coming from Thanksgiving Point. Thanks for being with us.